I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to The Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. Superfine, we're the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. And as many of you probably know, we're also one of the top business resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. I've also got some really exciting news to share with you today about this very podcast. You're now among over 4,000 unique listeners every month, and you're tuning in from all over the world, over 64 countries and growing every week. We're so excited to keep growing with you all and providing the support and guidance to artists and professionals around the world that we're known for, but to do so, we need your help. After you listen to this amazing episode with the wonderful Lucy Morningstar, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. That helps business-minded artists just like yourselves find the artist business plan and benefit from our and our guests' amazing perspectives every week. Alrighty then, back to our scheduled programming. We're here today with artist Lucy Morningstar. Lucy Morningstar is a portrait artist and tarot creator for creative female entrepreneurs who are ambitious and spiritual. Through her paintings, tarot decks, and art commissions, she's here to help you feel special, confident, and proud to embody your beliefs and desires in your personal lives and businesses. And she is here with us today live from Sydney, Australia. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you, Alex. I'm very, very honored to be here. (laughs) You're welcome. We're glad to have you. So before we get started, Lucy, I want to ask you something that we asked all of our guests to help our audience get to know the real Lucy. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And part B, when did you realize you'd be dedicating your life to art? Okay, so my earliest memory was... When I was very little and I remember there is this wooden kind of bench, right? And I was sitting on a little stove, you know, for little kid and whether it was crayon or color pencil, I don't remember and just doodle or do whatever. That was my earliest memory. I love that. And then when did you realize that you'd be dedicating your life to art and artists? Coming from a Chinese background, you are supposed to do the proper things, you know, tiger mom, tiger dad, you're supposed to <laughs> go into what makes money. So I, I actually have my degree in finance and I was in corporate banking for a long time. So when did I decide to um, dedicate my life to art was actually when I was pregnant with my second kid. And somehow I found an online course teach you how to draw portraits I thought, you know, as a bit of, um, you know, reward to myself, I'm just going to take that. And I did a bit of charcoal and that course and took you to try out colors in acrylics. That was actually the first time I ever used paint. And as even though my first portrait painting was like, instead of skin colors, I think I mixed zombie <laughs> colors, whatever. <laughs> um, but I just felt like, wow, this is what I really want to dedicate my life to doing. Oh, I love it. It's an amazing story. And you wouldn't be, or maybe you would be surprised how many people come on this program who have a prior career in finance or law or, you know, even in the medical fields who are like, you know, I had this moment where I woke up and decided this is what I wanted to do. And I think that's such a cool perspective to come from. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Lucy, you are an artist. You're a sacred success channeler and you're a prosperity mentor. Wow. 
So what is the first step in mentoring your clients in channeling success for themselves and for their businesses? So the first step when it comes to um, my commission work is to identify their soul archetype. I use that starting with their birthdays. So if anyone knows a bit of uh, numerology, you know that you just add up the digits in your birthday, the year, the month, and the date, and you get to like a single digit number. And basically that's where I start from because in the ooh kind of <laughs> realm, that's what I work with. The next step is that I plug that numerology number from, you know, basically your soul path number into the tarot system. So that comes from Mary Greer's work, who are you in the tarot? Basically identify your tarot archetype according to the major kana of the tarot. And I find that to be like super accurate, you know, about your strength, your probably what's hidden, you know, from you, what you tend to suppress and what is what makes you really shine, like your most natural unique gifts. So that is the first step. So you add up the numbers in your birthday to find a number that they then use to start to create this map that you're talking about. Is that correct? Yeah. So you add up the digits of your birthday and come to a single digit number, right? So for example, my birthday is the 28th September 1982. So I just add up 2 plus 8 plus 9 and plus 1 plus 9 plus 8 plus 2. Right. So that's my all the digits in my birthday. And I'll come to the one single digit number is number three. So in numerology, that means your life path is three. And I just directly use the number to plug into the tarot system. So the tarot cards and use the major arcana. Number three is the empress. So that means that my soul archetype is the empress. So this is like my starting point. Each archetype, you have your unique natural talents and gifts, and also something that you tend to suppress and not see like a hidden teacher lessons that you can learn from. So that's the first step really. I love the idea of finding out your own archetype, like where you where you start from and then building from there. I think that's so neat. And a lot of your clients, Lucy, are, are successful CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other successful people. What gave you the idea to create these prosperity portraits and what purpose can they serve for someone? When I was beginning, I just really knew that I want to dedicate my life to creating paintings, right? And pretty soon I knew that I really love to paint portraits because, you know, there's abstract, there's landscapes, still lives, a lot of different subjects, right? And I knew that I really love painting portraits. So at the beginning, you just paint, you just paint. And one of my art teachers said like, why are you painting? Like, what is, what is your why, right? Simon Sinek talks about starting with why. So why do you paint? I don't know why. So I started looking for answers outside and see what other people say. Like the successful artists, well-known artists say about why they are creating. And they, um, I find what a lot of the artists that I like, like the, like they have just those masterful levels of skills, right? Um, it's about the quality of light. And you know, that's, I understand what they say, but just doesn't seem like you really gel with me, right? And then, so it's quite a bit of journey. So if anyone's listening and you're asking the same question, like, why am I creating? And you can't find that unique offering that you can just say with like an elevator pitch to your client. And I feel like that is okay because it really is a journey of self-discovery. 
So with me, I studied painting portraits and at one stage in my life, I was actually really depressed. <laughs> like I was so depressed. I would actually, you know, been to the hospital and I was stitches and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to take medication because I asked about the side effects of, you know, meds and the doctor said that, you know, you would probably feel just mutual, right? So instead of ups and downs, you would just feel a line in the middle. And then I asked, well, if I don't feel super sad, does that mean I won't feel um, super happy or inspired? They say, yeah, because you will be in the middle. So then I think, well, you know, if I don't feel anything like so super neutral, then how am I going to create art? Because art is filled by emotions and inspirations, right? So I refuse to take any meds. And I just started painting self-portraits. And at that time, I didn't have any spiritual practice. And I thought, you know, meditation and all that kind of things was for nuns and monks in the monasteries. I didn't even know I could totally. <laughs> so didn't have any spiritual practice at all. So I basically just started painting self-portraits by looking at myself in the mirror because I was, I was my own model, right? Most easily accessible. So as I started painting um, self-portraits gradually with a body of work of self-portraits, I started to realize, well, this is a painting of me. It's, you know, it looks like me. It's my face, my body, but that is not the whole me. It represents a part of me or a point in life of me, but it's not the whole me. Like the me that is actually that I can feel and touch this person that thinks and imagines and moves is much more than the painting of me. And then using the same chain of thought, then I start to realize, well, if the painting of me is not the whole me, does not represent the whole me, then it is very likely that what I perceive to be me, what I am feeling, what I am thinking, and what I am seeing and feeling as this, you know, existence does not represent the whole entirety of, you know, what makes, you know, me either, right? Do you <laughs> know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, I started to create a bit of a see, perceive a bit of distance between what makes me, what makes me me, than what I am actually feeling, thinking, and perceiving in this existence. So that was actually before I um, read about Eckhart Tolle, which was my first book into spiritual practices. And interesting enough, after I had that realization, the social worker that you know, was assigned to my case because of my depression and that kind of stuff. Um, she started notice a change in me. Like she made a comment that I seem a lot calmer and she wanted to know what's going on and we had some conversation about it. And then one day she gave me a book as a gift. And that's Eckhart Tolle's, um, The Power of Now. And then when I was reading, I said, Oh God, the observer and the thinker are different. So that is a very much the same realization that I had from painting self-portraits. So that was the first time I actually realized the power of using portraiture, using art as a spiritual practice. So that was years ago where how I basically using painting self-portraits to heal myself from depression. Maybe two years later, I discovered tarot and then I felt like I found the answer to so many things because as an artist, how I Learn is that I create, I create, I, I make things as a way to learn. So as people 
maybe have remotely heard of Taro or you just type Taro into the Google bar and then you will see it's a lot of artworks, right? So I just create, started create tarot art. And then I use the energies of each tarot card to either heal myself or to intentionally channel or embody the energy of the particular painting, tarot painting that I'm working on. And then, of course, I discovered Mary Greer, who is like basically everyone who is doing tarot right now is probably because of Mary Greer or Rachel Pollack, if <laughs> you know, um, those you know, teachers in, in our, the tarot community. So I discovered her work from her book, Who Are You in the Tarot? And I found that's, oh my God, it explains so much, so spot on. And I started to, um, use these tarot archetypes. And from there, I expand to goddess archetypes and started more intentionally creating portrait paintings based on each person's unique archetype like we discussed before. So I guess coming back to your second question about what purpose these archetypal paintings, what I call your prosperity portrait serve is that because for my clients, many of them are professional women or business women and as high achievers, right? We all deal with the imposter syndrome. <laughs> so even though they've achieved so much they are so successful and there's something just in the back of their mind, you know, whether it's comparison or it was a fluke or that sometimes they just want to still go into hiding instead of shining as bright as they, they could. It all comes back to the imposter syndrome, I think. And having the prosperity portrait, I think, first of all, at the first level is to recognize that you deserve to celebrate yourself. Self-celebration, I feel, is so important. As women, we don't do enough of. Whenever we have achieved something, we are happy for a while, and then we just immediately say, you know, dismiss our own achievement, and then we just go on to the next thing. So I think stop for a moment to really celebrate yourself in a really meaningful way is so important. And posture, I feel like, you know, you can think, about even in the movies, right? The um, successful men with generations of business, they have their corporate kind of very masculine portraits painted of themselves, their fathers, their grandfathers, the whole lineage of, you know, how the empire started and they hang it in their office, in their home, and they take so much pride in it. But how often do we see that with women professionals and entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> probably not much. We probably think that's too super egotistical to uh, have ourselves um, in a portrait painting. But I think it, it is really powerful because when we see, celebrate ourselves in this powerful way, we automatically step into that energy and we remember to take pride in what we have achieved and in who we are. So I think self-celebration is really the first step. And then because the prosperity portrait is really aligned with your unique soul archetype. And it holds the vision of you in that archetype, in its wholeness, right? So every time you glimpse at it, you remember subconsciously, even though you don't really pause and look at it like for minutes, just glimpse at it. It's in your living space. And every time you glimpse at it, I feel like there's a sense of connection 
with something bigger, like I discussed, I've talked about before. There's something bigger than what you just can physically perceive as you and your circumstances. So that can be the tarot archetype or a goddess archetype. Because if we talk about the goddess in you or the goddesses in you, you and the goddess are one. You are connected to something bigger. And then you have that sense of wholeness and certainty and confidence. And then you take action from that place instead of just doubting yourself all the time. You think about how am I going to take action when I am the empress or when I am the queen? That is the purpose that I hope to serve for my clients. I love it. And I really want to underscore a couple of things you mentioned that kind of resonated with me. Art as a form of spirituality. I think that's a beautiful concept for people to kind of get behind, especially when life can feel overwhelming. And you also mentioned imposter syndrome, which comes up frequently on this program. We talk a lot about how people, you know, struggle, like one of the biggest struggles I see in entrepreneurs, artists, everyone is getting over that feeling of like, I'm an imposter in my own life. I don't deserve this. And, you know, that idea of having this portrait that's a self-celebration where you can stop for a moment to really celebrate yourself, I feel that's so, so important for everybody. And the fact that you highlight successful women who, you know, may not be able to be, they're not giving themselves that opportunity, like the men who have the, the portraits of their lineage and their office. I think it's so cool to be able to, you know, to foster that. So I think that's beautiful. And I think that, you know, whoever you are listening today, that getting over the imposter syndrome and whether you do have a work like Lucy's on your wall or whether it's just something that you bring into your life in another way, it's so important to celebrate yourself and actually enjoy those times. And also for me, another inspiration is that I'm, I want to set examples for my children, you know, especially my daughter. I like really envision, you know, for business women and professional women, we have, we set ex- example of celebrating ourselves. Like we want a meaningful portrait of ourselves as a goddess in my home office or in my living room. And I want my daughter to see it, to know that I deserve to be created into a piece of art as a goddess, because I want every woman to know that you are a goddess and you see yourself as a goddess because the goddess is you and you are the goddess. Uh, Demonstrate as example for our daughters, for the next generations as well. And my vision is really for every woman to have a portrait of themselves because you know that you are a goddess and you deserve to be worshipped and celebrated. And our daughters as well. Like I really want to see generations of women's portraits hanging in our home office, in our living space. And every time, you know, visitors or whatever come in, we say, this is my grandma and she was a priestess. And this is my mother and she was a wisdom keeper. This like really lights me up. And then the daughter will come in and say, hey, I know that I am, you know, whichever archetype, I am the empress and I am the queen of wands and I want to be portrayed that way and be recognized that way. I want to see myself every day as I go into the world as a queen that just really lights me up. I love that. And you're obviously, you're so passionate about this too, which is incredible. And there's, it's actually really amazing for the artists listening there to understand like, you know, what you do, you feel such a purpose for us. I think that's incredible as well. I want to pivot slightly to a a question I have for you about your YouTube channel. So you have a YouTube channel. One of the things you've talked about there is how to align your business as a creative for success. So what are some of the online trends, let's say maybe two or three online trends that you're noticing that the artists listening here today should get on top of? 
okay, so I don't listen to the news or, um, you know, that kind of thing. So what I perceive would be from, you know, the people that I follow online. So what I um, see is, you know, first of all, is the diversity, equality, inclusivity, right? So it was really hot last year, but it has been going on for a long time last year because of the thing that happened. It just kind of really exploded, but it's not going away anytime. And in fact, I think as people probably calm down from that big explosion of events, it is people are just integrating it and finding ways to develop on this, becoming more aware of the diversity, equality, inclusivity issues from a more conscious kind of way, instead of just exploded in anger and, and all that kind of things. People are really integrating it into every part of work and life. So I think we don't have to like paint particular race or sexual orientations or that kind of things, but I think getting educated ourselves about what our blind spots are in this is super important. Just makes us, you know, better human beings, more aware human beings. And of course, an artist is a human being. And also that will make us a better artist. So this is like what I am learning myself. And the second thing I think is mindset work. Life coaching you and James are doing here is part of this like coaching artist. Every successful celebrities, for example, or sports people, even entrepreneurs, I'm sure they all have coaches because no one just born knowing how to be a success or uh, even live a good life. The schools don't teach us how to live a good, happy, joyful, fulfilled life. I think this is where life coaching comes in and how to manage our minds um, comes in. I think this is also a really big trend. Everyone needs that, right? And the third trend is spirituality. Like, as you say, art is a spiritual practice. And I think a lot of um, artists, we are here, we, we tap into the um, spirit, whether we are conscious of it or not, because when you are creating, you are, we are effectively channeling ideas, inspirations. We channel that from thin air, seemingly thin air, into you know physical existence. So we are tapping into spirituality, whether consciously or subconsciously. I think this, for me, are the three. Not so sure if they are trends. Probably they are just gonna always been here, but I think they are gonna just even become more important. You know, as time goes on. I love it. That was really amazing, Lucy. And for the artists listening there, these are really, really great tips for kind of what you should be including in your life and practice and and bringing into your world. Number one, educating yourselves on diversity, inclusivity, and equality. So, so important right now and forever into the future. Number two, being open to life coaching and mindset work, because honestly, nobody's really born knowing how to live a happy and successful life, you know, be open to that as a possibility. It's something that is growing in literally every field right now and will be growing in art as well. And the third being spirituality, art as a spiritual practice and just channeling those inspirations seemingly from nothing into physical existence. I think that's incredible, incredible perspective, Lucy. Thank you for sharing it. Oh, thank you for (laughs) giving me the space to share this. (laughs) You're very welcome. Cool. So, You mentioned in your last response about kind of how things have changed over the past year. And for those listening, this was being recorded at the beginning of 2021. So we're, you know, coming off of a very unusual year and into another one. So the art buying world has become very much virtual over the past 12 months. 
how can an artist prepare themselves to recognize an emerging online trend or just, you know, uh, let's call it a wave so that they can capitalize on it and be a part of it from the very start? Yes, I think it's very important now we have an online presence, right? So even if you don't have a website, have some online presence where, you know, like Instagram feed or whatever, just people can see your work online. Because I think not only does it work online, but also offline too. For example, um, I'm about to have a meeting with like a local boutique bookstore next week. And instead of bringing all the physical paintings, which would be so, you know, so much trouble, I can just put on my website or Instagram feed and show them, right? So it's so convenient. Um, so it works both not just you to, you know, become, have a lot of followers online. It actually works online and offline as well. When you say you meet people, even you just uh, approach the local cafe or uh, bookstore to probably showcase your paintings or sell your paintings with you, you can actually just put out your phone and show them what you have. So we really need to have, you know, just start have an online presence. And also this is another thing that I'm just experimenting with after you know, look at some of Gary V's, you know, really fun videos, video clips. He actually said that LinkedIn is like the next big thing. Like, because he, like, he, he said that, you know, Instagram and Facebook, they are kind of like the, the chance to really get in at the really early stage and have a, you know, have it, you know, whatever, explore your profile, explore that stage has like passed, he said, right? So what is at the beginning stage of, uh, you know, Instagram and link Facebook is actually LinkedIn is at that beginning stage. And he said, you know, if anyone is not on LinkedIn, then get on. So, you know, I actually just started my own LinkedIn profile last month <laughs> just to, you know, follow Gary V's recommendation to go on there because for me, I also think about my audience, businesswoman and professional woman, they are on LinkedIn. So I am also just experimenting on LinkedIn and see how that goes. <laughs> I would totally agree with you, Lucy. People get really focused on, you know, having a bunch of followers. It's not to say that you can't, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, you need to have that online presence, you know, Instagram, website, all of that for many reasons, which we've, you know, we'll talk about a lot on this podcast. But also, it's such an amazing thing because you can go to a physical meeting and you're completely portable. You don't have to bring around a giant portfolio or a bunch of paintings and works with you. It, you can easily point someone to your work on a laptop computer or an iPhone or give them your information so they can find it on their iPhone or computer. It just makes things more streamlined and easy. I think it's a great word of advice just to like treat your website and your Instagram. You know, It's a helpful way to reach people, but also this incredible tool for you know, making the connections that you have in person better. Yes, yes, totally. And I like that you brought up LinkedIn because I have had a LinkedIn for, I don't know, years, five, six years, but I've always neglected it and I've never, you know, cared too much. And then recently I've heard similar advice. So I, uh, I started using it more and I went and I optimized my profile. I changed things. I, you know, put some more recent jobs and described them. I mean, uh, super fine, obviously. And, uh, and it, it's really interesting. And I've, I've connected with some people already. And I'll share a quick anecdote. I mean, I met someone about a year and a half ago in Los Angeles at a, a, a bar at a restaurant that I go to a lot when I'm in LA. And uh, we got along and everything we added on LinkedIn. And, um, and he's in the film industry. So I reached out about a week and a half ago just to say hello. And it turned out this gentleman lived 
in the same small island in New York that we just bought a house in. So he ended up introducing us to people and he was very generous with advice about where to go, what to do, where to eat. So we were able to kind of deepen the connection that we made a year and a half ago uh, through LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn has a great opportunity to kind of connect in a more long form way with people where you can have longer conversations, almost like email versus Instagram, you know, you're lucky to get a comment on Instagram. So I think it's a very cool medium. So I'm glad you're on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I might have to find you on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, please add me on LinkedIn. And ev- honestly, everybody listening here, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, please do add me. It's just my name, Alex Mito. And find Lucy as well. And I think it's a very cool thing to do. And I like that you mentioned also thinking about your audience and where your audience are. And, you know, like you said, if your audience are professional women or LGBTQ professionals or young professionals, whatever, whoever you're trying to reach, whatever your niche is, we talk a lot about identifying your audience on this program. And I think, you know, if your audience is on LinkedIn, then you need to meet them there and be there with them. So it's a very cool thing to think about. Cool. So I want to say get briefly over to another topic that artists ask about a lot, which is pricing. What is your advice for an artist who's just starting out about how to price their art for the audience that they are targeting? Okay. So first, we need to know, like you say, we need to know who our audience is, right? Um, like from my own experience, I'm not so sure if we would know who our audience is right from the get-go because I certainly didn't. And I used to sell my art at $100, $200 a piece and I was still struggling to sell. And now my commission are like over $2,000 a piece and I sell more. And <laughs> if you sell like 200, I have to sell 10 paintings to make you know, <laughs> the same amount of money that I make from one right now. So it's a journey, I think, you know, some people get there faster. I didn't get that as fast to um, know who your audience is. And then I, like there's a couple of things that I thought about pricing, right? So first, we need to recognize that because talking about back to the imposter syndrome, I think artists have that because if we don't have that, we probably wouldn't be artists because we appreciate beauty and we always want something to be more beautiful. Same goes with our art. we like we always want to improve our skills and make something that's even more beautiful. And our vision, what we vision in our mind, probably are always way better than what we make because otherwise where's the room for improvement, right? If what we make is already better than what we can envision, then, <laughs> you know, we probably we won't be artists because there's no urge to really make and, and create. So there is the, the just recognize that, you know, the imposter syndrome is always say like, you know, if I look, you know, six years ago, I would say I would die to be able to paint at the skill level that I am doing now or to have the ideas that I have now. But right now, as I am already there, I'm looking like I want to be able to paint, have the skill level of whoever, whoever else, right? You are never really there, you know, but it's important to recognize is that there is not better than here. Like just like, again, recognize that you have already achieved a lot and recognize. I also need to recognize like the price is not directly proportional to your skill level. Wouldn't you, would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. And I think uh, it's good to talk about pricing because it's not really a one size fits all kind of thing. Going back to what you said about knowing your audience, it's so important because if you're creating work and really resonates with one group of people and you're trying, and that's kind of the group of people that you, for lack of a better word, that you want to own your art, you have to think about, you know, what is their budget? What are they spending on art? 
that may be more or that may be less. In your case, it sounds like it was more and that's really exciting. And I think a lot of people need to understand that it can be just as hard to sell a work for $200 if you're going to the wrong audience. And it can be easier to sell for $2,000 or $20,000 if you're going to the audience that you your work aligns with. So, and you know, I think that's really good advice. Yes, exactly. And there are people like who are selling for like you say $20,000, you know, instead of $2,000. There is the audience for sure because the audience who buys the $2,000 painting, they won't even look at the $200 painting. Like it won't even enter their field of awareness, right? <laughs> and also I think at the end of the day, it also comes back to ourselves, our own confidence level. Because I am not confident in selling a $2,000 commission, but I am not at the confidence level of selling $20,000 yet. So even if I want to speak to those people like who like will spend that kind of money on art, I myself don't have the confidence to go on that level yet. And if I look at the artists who are selling at that price, I also recognize that their skill is not better than my skill set, right? But they have that confidence. They're just mind, body, and spirit are in alignment with that kind of pricing. So it really also comes back to doing the, you know, what we talked about earlier, the coaching on ourselves to how to really shift and up-level our own confidence and our own beliefs in ourselves so that we can be at the level of the clients that we want to attract. Yeah, I love that. And I'd kind of add something to that because I don't necessarily you know, see it as a negative to sell at the confidence level that you're at right now while you're, you know, trying to up level. But I see a lot of artists make the mistake of, you know, overpricing their work from the start at a level that they're not really confident in selling at, and then it doesn't sell. And then they, it's a, it's a vicious cycle where then they lose more confidence. And I really believe, you know, from the artists in my life and that I've worked with, you know, hundreds of artists over the years, my partner is an artist, you know, that when you begin to sell at a you know, a good price, like one that is, it's sustainable, you begin to sell and you begin to see that people appreciate your work enough to part with their hard earned money for it, it does reinforce your confidence and, and it helps you up level. So that becomes like a positive cycle when you begin selling and then you can kind of gradually up level it over time. So that's something I've observed is that that's a possibility that you know, you can instead of overpricing yourself and then being like, oh no, I fell short and so-and-so down the road didn't, you can actually meet the people where they're at right now and then grow with them. And you'll find that your collectors will grow with you too and their budgets will grow over time. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's beautiful advice. Yes, totally. <laughs> thank you. So this has been an amazing chat and I would love to keep talking and maybe we'll do another episode soon, but we are coming towards the end here. So what is one more word of advice that you have, Lucy, for an artist out there who's trying to upgrade or up-level their approach to the art business? The belief. So the, what is a belief? A belief is just, you know, a thought that you repeatedly think over and over again, and you don't even recognize that it's a thought. It's just a thought. Like you just so green in you. I think it's that to have installed the belief that you have value to offer. Like you are an artist and your art has value. The art that you create has value and you have value to offer. I think this is the belief that I am constantly working on because coming back to the imposter syndrome and then as an artist, what our vision is always so much more ahead of what we can, you know, create. And then if you're starting out and you don't have, you know, a long wait list of clients yet, 
is sometimes you need to believe that you have value before you actually create the million dollar empire, right? You need to just really believe that you have value. That really, I think, is the really fundamental belief that we need to constantly work on is that you have value to offer and people waiting to buy what you have. I love that advice. And guys, a belief is a thought you repeat over and over again. So you want to install that belief that you have value to offer. And that goes back to getting over imposter syndrome and just believe that you have value before you create that million dollar art empire. We have a word for that or a phrase for that here too, which is fake it till you make it. But I think that is a little more eloquent what you said there, Lucy. I love you know it. What? Alex, the fake it till you make it. I was actually having a conversation with Tanya Geisler, an expert on imposter syndrome. We, we talk about how the fake it till you make it assumes that when you are being like expressing um, confidently, right, you are faking it. But what we think, like what I feel is that when you are expressing fully and communicating really uh, passionately, louder and bigger than life, what about that is actually your most authentic and natural state, right? We think that is faking, but what if that is your most natural and authentic state and the state that you think that you are just being your small um, self and you are hiding, that is actually not your authentic state because you have been conditioned to people please, to you know not be so loud so you don't make others feel uncomfortable. So what if that state of being small and quiet and hiding is actually your suppressed and oppressed state of expression? What if the state that you think that you're actually faking where you are feeling confident and shining brightly and not caring about what other people think, you don't care about making other people too uncomfortable because you are just too loud, too bright or whatever. What if that is actually your natural state? I actually prefer that explanation and I take back my fake it till you make it quote there. I think that is a better way to think of it because if you're faking it till you're making it, then it implies that, you know, being bold and loud and bright is fake, which it's not. That's your real self. And I think that is a much nicer way of putting it, Lucy. I appreciate you sharing that. Everyone wants to be seen, whether it's in a more quieter way or in a more claim the stage kind of way. But we know when we're in alignment and in joy, right? When we are feel like we're well, spreading the wings instead of being constricted. You know, that spreading the wings and you feel that you're free to express, like that is the authentic state, right? Like I want to get there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. I like that as a place to end here. Spread your wings and feel free to express yourself. All of you artists out there listening today, Lucy has been here with us sharing her amazing, amazing perspective. You're definitely going to want to go back and listen again and take notes. You can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. If you want to connect with Lucy, you can follow her at lucymorningstar.art on Instagram and visit www.lucymorningstar.art. Both of those will be in the show notes as well. I strongly encourage you to keep up with Lucy. I was just looking at her art on Instagram and I love it. I think you'll love it as well. As always, remember that we are Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for and exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs around the US, you could drop us a line via email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. 
We always appreciate any love on Instagram. That's our main platform. Um, anything you want to tag us in a story, put us in one of your feed posts. We always, always appreciate that. And once again, if you've been enjoying the artist business plan, we also appreciate it. If you could take a moment of your time to write us a review and give us a rating on Apple podcasts, that really, really helps other artist entrepreneurs find us. And we also feel the love and we appreciate it too. As always, I would like to end the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And today the quote is, Success in life could be defined as the continued expansion of happiness and the progressive realization of worthy goals. And that is Deepak Chopra. Lucy, it has been honestly such a pleasure having you with us today. Your energy is incredible. Thank you for sharing it with us and with our audience today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Alex, for having me on the show. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen for yourselves. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world. at superfine.world.